So good to be here with you today. I would like to uh, just start us off in a word of prayer, if we could, please, before we jump into the Word. If we could just bow our heads and uh, just ask the Lord's blessing over this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for um, the grace that we've already received with the sunshine and the grace with uh, a way to get here this morning. We don't take that lightly. There are a lot of people um, throughout the world who do not even have the ability to do that. Father God, we do. Uh, we thank you for um, just the amazing musicians that, that you have uh, given this church uh, just to forward the vision and mission of it. And Father, I pray um, most of all, more than anything else, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that it's absolute and that it's without error. And um, from the day that it was penned until now, it is uh, inspired and it is useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking us. And I thank you this, for this, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, to date myself just a little bit, uh, who, and to date maybe you... Do you remember like old school Kirby vacuum cleaners? I'm talking about the, the old school, like you turn it on and it sounds like a plane taking off, that one. You know what I'm saying? So like if you have, if you have a child sleeping, you are not vacuuming while the child's sleeping or else that, it, that it just isn't going to happen. Like it's, you turn the button on, it's like, and just like you can just hear it like for two blocks. Well, when I grew up, we had a Kirby. And we, I mean, I realized they're like, those are like the premium vacuum cleaners. This was like the really good Kirby. Um, it's, the, it's the bag type. I always thought it was a little bit weird, though, um, with the Kirby. Uh, the, I think it had a bag, but you wouldn't be able to tell as soon as you turn it on. It's like you would click the thing on, and then the thing would swell. And then if you looked at it just right, you could see actually all the dust flying off of it all over the room that you're vacuuming. Who, who can give testimony to that? Like, who knows? And it's... Uh, I just don't understand. It's like you don't know if you're sucking up more or displacing it. You just can't tell. And so when Marla and I first got married, we thought, well, you know what? we gotta, we got to buy a Kirby. I mean, I grew up with the Kirby. Kirby's the way to go. But, but we were broke. Now, we were so broke that we weren't even poor. We were po. Like we couldn't even afford the OR. And I was an E1 in the Navy. Like, and I, actually, it's another story for another day. I wasn't even getting paid the right amount. So we couldn't afford a Kirby. So we decided that we would go to Pick and Save um, when we lived in Florida. And we bought a Kirby lookalike. Now, this, all it did actually was just make noise. I don't think it vacuumed anything at all. So we had this, this vacuum cleaner. And, you know, it didn't last very long. And the whole nine yards, and, and we, were, we were really broke. Eventually, we, we went to, I think, Walmart and got another vacuum cleaner and all of that. You know, I, I was thinking about this. Actually, oddly enough, I was thinking about it about two or three weeks ago. Um, somebody called me and wanted to sell me a vacuum cleaner. And I'm like, come on, seriously, like trying to sell me a vacuum cleaner. And I'm so thankful now that the vacuum cleaners, even the cheap ones, like you can actually see that it's doing work. And I think that's really cool and weird at the same time. But at least you know that it's doing something and they're not loud like they used to be. So now it's, it's profoundly affected homes throughout the whole country, everyone who can afford them. Now you can actually value, you can vacuum while your child is sleeping. And that's amazing. I know you moms really appreciate that. But I was thinking about this story, and I was thinking about, honestly, this series that we've been in for several weeks, and we'll be in for several weeks longer. I was thinking about it because it is so easy to get sucked up into all the political drama. It's so easy to get sucked up into, into making or being forced like you have to choose a side. 
It's so easy to be sucked up into, into the racial divide and where you start claiming one side or the other instead of, I think, where the gospel is, is right in the middle where it sees all people the same. But it's so easy to be sucked up and then feel like you have to choose one side or the other. It's so easy. But what I talked about last week, as I said, although that's so easy, but we are people of a hope. And we're the people of a future because that's what, uh, that's what the word of God told us last week in Jeremiah 29, 11, that we're people of a future. And because if you have your identity in Jesus Christ, we're people of a purpose that's even greater than the physical world that we see. Last week from Jeremiah 29, I unpacked the implications of the home. And I said that, that they were people that they were exiles just like we're exiles. And I kind of painted a picture that we are, we are people of the exile. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, this is kind of the world we live in. If you didn't catch that, it's online. And I was really overwhelmed with, with this because I thought to myself, what does that mean in our current day and age? If we're people of the resurrection, we're people of hope, we're people of, of a destiny and a purpose. And if we believe that we're people that, that has more of a responsibility than even others around us, what would that mean for us? So I was drawn to this text in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says this. Now this is talking about a Christian. But it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. And I was really drawn to those words, living sacrifices. Because if there's something that we can embrace today, if there's a truth that we could, we could really uh, just allow it to infiltrate our heart and our mind and, and help us to be renewed and changed, it would be this, this ethic, this lifestyle, this kingdom being that, that we should possess, that we are to live a life of a living sacrifice. That means we are poured out for the gospel, that Christians are poured out for the gospel of Christ to compel others to come to Christ. But why should we do that? I mean, why should we do that? It's actually in verse one. It says, in view of God's mercy, because we're people of a resurrection, that Christians are a people of recognizing the effects of the cross. We are the people who have understood what it means to live a life of sin and to have Jesus Christ radically set you free from it. And that's the mercy of God. We're people who live in the shadow of the cross that we know what it took, just what Jesus bore on us on the cross for us and the mercy that was poured out in by way of his blood for us. So we're compelled in, in light of that mercy to live our lives as a living sacrifice for the cause of Christ, for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. But what if, what if that we're to be living sacrifices in our work, in our life, our social life, our political life, our sexual conduct, our civic life, and civic means rights and responsibilities as a citizen, and our recreational life, that's just the fun, 
that you have. What if we are to be living sacrifices? What if the calling of a Christian in our day and age, what if the calling for every Christian now is to offer their life as a living sacrifice? Not not just for our own behalf, but on the behalf of others in light or in lieu or in, in the process of receiving the mercy of God so that we would be the most merciful. Not because we have it all together. It's because we remember that we don't. So what if, what if in light of this truth that we are to be living sacrifices in our work life, our social life, our political life, within our sexual conduct, our civic life, and even our recreational life. What would this mean for our city? What would this mean for, uh, for the folks in your office? What would this mean for, for your relationship with your boss? What would this mean if you were to live your life as a living sacrifice? What would this mean in the context of your marriage? What would this mean when you're raising kids? What would this mean? In this talk, you're going to have some handles on some things that you can grasp and apply. But I believe for you and I, in the authority of the Word of God, in Romans 12:1, that we are to live our life in just in light of the mercy of God that's been bestowed upon us as living sacrifices, being poured out for others, for the glory of God and the cause of His gospel. Verse 2. Same passage says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. He says, you Christian, that, that if, if you have given your life to Christ, whether it was, it was a week ago or, or 15 years ago, your calling, your, your purpose for living is still the same. It says, if this is your story, then this is a shared responsibility with this passage. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, which means that there's a pattern of the world that's working in opposition to the cause of Christ. The Apostle Paul says to you and I, not so of you, not so of you. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed, be different, but yet be recognizable to those who haven't received the gospel of Christ. In the passage today, um, this is kind of, Part two of a series that I, of, of this message, rather, that I started last week in Jeremiah 29. I welcome you to open your Bible to Jeremiah 29, starting in verse, verse 4, if you haven't already. Um, the main text today is verse 7, but I want to read the context so you uh, kind of see where uh, we have gone so far and uh, really what this verse means for us. But if I were to uh, summarize this, this text, this passage, this talk... Into one phrase, it's this. Citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of the kingdom of God, this is Christians, citizens of the kingdom of God are to be the best citizens in the cities of man. That citizens in the kingdom of God, if you call yourself a Christian, that means that, that you, you live your life here on earth, but you long for a heavenly home. You know there's a heavenly home. You know there's a place in heaven that you, when you leave this, uh, this temporary place, 
when you leave planet Earth and then your soul goes to be with God in heaven, that you know that you have a place. So we're citizens of heaven waiting for us. But while we're here, that the citizens of the kingdom of God should be the best citizens in the cities of man. I'm going to let the word tell you why. Starting in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So here's the context. Again, in case you missed it, here's the context. Jeremiah is a prophet to the people in Jerusalem. Uh, Jeremiah made it through the reign of five different kings. Jeremiah was untainted by the, the corruption in the political world. He was untainted by all of the corruption within the city, that it was a fallen city. He was untainted. He was God's spokesperson to God's people at the time. And his, his position was so difficult because even the kings worked in opposition to Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, they threw Jeremiah in jail. One of the kings threw Jeremiah in jail. And Jeremiah stood his ground And he said, there's a consequence to your disobedience. You're going to be exiled. You're going to be sent away from your homeland. You're going to be sent away from the promised land. And he says, but it's your fault. And he says that to the people. And then he also declares the same truth to the king. And he says, it's your fault. So when that day comes, Jeremiah says, just know that that's on your shoulders. That's on your back. So he prophesied that there would be a period of time that a Babylonian empire would come in and they would dominate the land and they would dominate the people. And there's nothing they could do about it because in that moment, their their disobedience was actually, it was driven by the hand of God, drove the Babylonian king to take over the land. That God was doing something in the midst of all of that. So Jeremiah stood his ground Even in the midst of of, uh, the people didn't want to hear what he had to say. The people didn't like him, tried to imprison him, but he stood his ground. Verse 4. Again, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. So he was setting some, uh, some things that had to happen foundationally in the home. He says, you're going to go to this foreign land and you're going to be surrounded with people who don't believe what you believe. You're going to be surrounded by by all these false gods. You're going to be surrounded and you're going to have this, this direct impact from an evil king. And he says, but here's what I want you to do. Don't form a coup. Don't move outside the city. Don't live in isolation. What God says through Jeremiah to God's people at the time is so profound And it's what we have to do today. Even in the midst of of all of the drama that we found ourselves in. Maybe some things you agree with, maybe some things you disagree with. But what they had to do is the same thing we had to do. We have to live our life. We have to live our life. We need to make decisions in this day, understanding the decisions that we make socially, the decisions that we make politically, the decisions that we make with our kids, and the decisions that we make within our marriage are going to impact generations to come. So last week, 
when I preached through this, there was the truth of their situation that they just had to live their life and plant gardens and to be married and have babies. And they had that, but then you also see these promises. And they start in verse 10, in verse 11, it says, but there's gonna be a day. There's gonna be a day, and it's in 70 years. And God says, my favor is gonna be upon you again. And in 70 years, you're gonna go back to your homeland. In 70 years, about two generations, things are gonna be made right. But he says, in the meantime, in the meantime, have a godly marriage. Raise godly kids. And look what also is said in verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So he painted a picture in verse 5 and 6, of what the responsibilities were at home. And now he's saying, you have a public responsibility. You need to seek the peace of the city. Don't be a naysayer of, of the people around you. Don't be a naysayer of the government who's, who, who is basically in opposition to you. Don't be a naysayer of that. He says, you're to be different. You're to seek the peace of this city because, he says, and also you seek the prosperity of the city because if the city prospers, so will you. Then he even goes a step further. After seeking the peace, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute. After seeking the prosperity, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But then he says, and pray for it. See, it's one thing. It's one thing to think that you have all the answers for all of the things going on around you. I mean, it's one thing. And granted, you have a lot of great ideas. You really do. We're not really that informed. So we have ideas and those, and they're valid. And that's great, and we share those ideas. But all of those ideas aren't going to change the human heart. All of those ideas are, are very limited in power. And, and the power that one praying Christian has is, is more mighty and has more strength than a thousand armies. One Christian who says, you know what? I may disagree with the people around me. I may disagree with the mayor's decisions. I may disagree with the city council. I may disagree with the board of education. I may disagree with our governor. I may disagree with the state legislature. I may disagree with the president. I may disagree with the Supreme Court. I may disagree with the House of Representatives. And I may disagree with the Senate. He says, I may disagree with all those things, but the best thing I can do is not just voice my opinion, but plead almighty God that he would act in their lives, and in their lawmaking. Because when the city prospers, when the nation prospers, we prosper. We do that because we live a life of a living sacrifice. That it's not just us, as great as our ideas are, as true as, as your experience can be, that is going to make the difference unless we're willing to pray for those we disagree with. So he says, pray for it. The audacity of God's word. So thankful that it's there. What if, what if the only thing that a non-Christian could say is, well, all those Christians do is seek the peace of the city. What if that's the only complaint that a non-Christian would have over us as, as a body here? 
You know what? I just don't understand these people. I mean, they're more loving than anyone else. They're loving in a weird way. I just don't understand. They call each other brother and sister, but they ain't kin. I don't understand what's going on. But what if the only accusation they can say is, you know what? I just don't get those people. But you know what? All they do is seek the peace of the city. Even when there's reasons to be divided, even if they don't think like everybody else, even if they don't act like everybody else, all they do is seek the peace of the city. See, I believe there's, there's power in the gospel. And if we were to live our life in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ as, as offering our life as a living sacrifice, we believe wholeheartedly that the gospel changes everything. Not only does the gospel set a heart free, not only does, not only does the gospel allow us to have eternal life in heaven one day, someday, it allows us to have abundant life here and now. And the gospel can change a marriage. The gospel can take the most stubborn child and make that child surrender and turn that child's life around, that, that the gospel can take the most wayward husband or wife and make them surrender to the cause of Christ and make them repent of their wrongdoing and bring them back into the graces of God and bring them back into the home different than when they left. There's power in the gospel, but we live out that gospel. We don't just talk about it in settings like this. We don't just talk about it. We're to live a life of a, a living sacrifice that affects every aspect of our life, our work life, our social life, our recreational life, our, our sexual conduct, our political life. It affects everything because we are people who've experienced the mercy of God. So we ought to be the most merciful with those that are around us pleading on their behalf, seeking the peace of the city that we live in. Because when this city prospers, we too may prosper. The Word of God tells us in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as member of, of one body, one body, the body of Christ, we're called to peace. That, that the peace that we're called to, is, it flows out of us because we understand there was a time that we were not at peace with God, but those of us in light of God's mercy, that we are now at peace with God. And if a Christian is at peace with God, they should be compelled to be peacemakers with those who are around us. Those that we agree with, those that we disagree with. James 3.18 says this, we ought to be peacemakers who sow in peace because they reap a harvest of righteousness. What I love about this, and to me, this just revs me up. Because if we're peacemakers who sow in peace at work, the, the truth of God's word says that you're going to reap a, a harvest of righteousness in your work. That if you sow a seed of, of peace in your marriage, then all of a sudden it's going to spring up a peace and a harvest of righteousness in your marriage. If you go through and now you've decided with your kids, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have my home just driven by the conduct of my kids or the misconduct of my kids. I'm going to allow peace to reign in my home. Then all of a sudden, if you sow in peace, you're going to reap a harvest of peace and righteousness in your home. When you sow it or you plant it, the truth of God's word says that you're going to reap a harvest of righteousness. Honestly, that's what we want. That, that's what our city needs. That's what our county needs. 
Good grief, that's what our whole country needs. We don't need more ideas. We need people with conviction. We need people who will stand up and say, this is what God's word says. But I don't see you as my enemy. Because I, in, in, in view of God's mercy, I'm going to be a peacemaker. And that's what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers. That I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to seek the peace of this city. Timothy Keller said this. By his grace, Jesus lost the city that was so that we could become citizens of the city to come, heaven, and make us salt and light in the city that is, that's now. That's saying that really it's just one quote of what I've talked about thus far is that we are people, people of, of a resurrection, people who've experienced the mercy of God, people who've had um, just the eternal state changed to where we know that we're gonna be in heaven. That is uh, the city to come. But in light of that, in view of God's mercy, because we've experienced the love of Jesus Christ expressed on the cross through his shed blood on our behalf, because of that, now we can be salt and light in the city that is. I was thinking about something um, with this, the idea of the city, and, and I thought that, you know, oftentimes, and this is true, oftentimes we think of the city as the, as the big Metroplex area, it's Atlanta, it's, it's L.A., it's Nashville, it's New York, it's Boston. And we think of all those, and, and that's true. And they're the influencers, they really are. London and different places around the world. I mean, I could go through a list of a bunch of uh, main influencers. But you know what? The city of Dublin is an influencer. It is. It's been said that, that, the, that the city is like a heart. It draws in and sends out. And that's such a picture of the church. That the, that the church draws those who are far from God, it draws them in and then sends them out for the cause of the gospel. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And I think about our city, and I may miss your county, but just kind of say this, even in our fellowship, our size, I, I thought it was profound when I was, I was thinking about you all. We have representatives, of course, from Lawrence County and Trutland County and Twiggs County and Johnson County and Washington County and Toombs County. In a fellowship our size. Did I miss anyone? No? I didn't during the 915 either. I nailed it. I got it right this time. But we, as, as a body, people are, are drawn here by the grace of God. You're drawn in here to have uh, just a gospel community here at Dublin Bible Church. You're drawn in, and then you're sent out to your county. You're, you're drawn in, you're influenced here within this body by the grace of God, by the, the declaration of, of, of the the truth of God's word, and through the powerful expression of worship through singing. And we, we gather together to be encouraged and to be equipped and to be changed, and then we're sent out into the counties. Just like a heart, it draws and sends. It draws and sends. Every church is to draw and send and draw and send. The city says, also in verse 7, after we seek the peace of the city and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. The reality is this, church, get this. The city needs the church, and the church benefits from this city. The, the city needs the church. It needs the church. And the church benefits from the city. 
Because the city provides justice. The city provides order. The the city provides for areas that the church is absent. So I want to just say this. And I think this is is an absolute statement. I could be wrong, but I believe it is. I mean that it's true everywhere. Any time in any country that there is an increase in social programs, it's because there's been a decrease in the effectiveness of the local church. Any time, any time in this country or any other one, that there's been a, an increase in the social programs, that there's a necessity for social programs, any time, it's because the effectiveness of the local church has decreased. So, so how about, we're seeking peace and the prosperity of our city. How about we sit back in view of God's mercy and say, you know what? We, not they, are to blame. We, we, we have a responsibility as a Christian. Don't just blame it on those who are not Christians. We, not just they, share blame. I think if, if we would uh, rally around that truth, then we would humble ourselves as Christians before Almighty God, that we would pray even more fervently with more intensity and more frequency, not only for the effectiveness of the church, but also the effectiveness of our lives and the effectiveness and how that would be, uh, just how that would affect rather our city, that it would drive us to more prayer, to understand that it's, it's we, not just they, that share blame. Because every time there's, a, there's an increase in social programs, it's because then there's been a decrease in the effectiveness of the local church. And what God inspired through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, verse 7, and he says, seek the prosperity of the city. That means support the city. Because the city provides something that the church does not. That the city provides justice. It, it provides order. The enforcement of the law. Because without it would be anarchy. And yet it says, we have to pray for the city. And I'm drawn to this. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a police officer here in town. And it was a conversation about a week and a half ago. And I was just talking with him. I was encouraging him. And I was just asking him how it is on the streets and with what he's doing. And, um, and he said, man, it's, it, things are just changing. And it's, you just can't take things for granted. Like we used to be able to take things for granted. You just can't. So when you get into a situation, it's you always have to be on guard. And, you know, the, the Mayberry mentality is, is shut down, okay? And so I was just trying to talk to him, and I was really drawn to him. And he's just a great guy. Just, he has a heart for the city and for what he does, providing order. And, and, and I was really led to tell him, I said, you know what? I really appreciate what you do because you see ugly firsthand, you see ugly. I said, you see a side of ugly that I don't see. But I also recognized to him, and I said, but I understand that there's a partnership between what you do and what I do. And that we, that we as a local church, we need you and that you need us. And he said, I totally agree. And then I reassured him. I said, I know that there's a lot of people who, who are against you right now. And there's just this, this negative mindset of, of police and policing. But I said, I want you to know that there's people praying for you. 
I want you to know that there's people who, who I, I know that you're trying to do the right thing and we're praying for you specifically. And he was so appreciative. Because what I did in that moment, maybe what you need to wake up to the reality of is how much tension exists in the world today. How much tension that the governor has to make the right decisions. How much tension the city hall has to make the right decisions. So much tension that the the board of education has when they're trying to make decisions for the education of our kids. How much tension the, the state uh, legislature in the, the federal and national level legislature have, how much tension the president is under, how much tension that the governor has, how much tension the Supreme Court justices have in doing what they do. So the very best thing we could do is to recognize their difficulty and pray for them. Pray for them. On behalf of them, plead with Almighty God that he would send them wisdom greater than themselves. That he would send them wisdom greater than their, in their, their political partisanship. That he would send them wisdom on, on, on how it would benefit all people in that country, not just a select few. How it would greatly affect all people. Because the gospel, it compels us to pray for them. The gospel, in view of God's mercy, compels us to not just care about our own concerns, but to offer our lives as a living sacrifice for others. Close with this. I was encouraged with this idea this week, and hopefully it'll be encouraging for you. Just as as the city like a heart draws in and sends out. The local church does that. Vroom, 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 sending out. And I thought, what if, what if right here in our fellowship, that there could be someone who's, who's in elementary school right now who's a dancer and who loves dancing and they're rooted in Christ. Their identity is not in dancing, not in their performance, but their identity is in Jesus Christ. And that one day that they would rise up and they would be the best dancer for the glory of God. And that maybe that they would find themselves in New York City. So now as this church brought them in and now we send them out and maybe now they're dancing for the glory of God and for the influence of the gospel in New York City. I believe that that a church, even our size, could send people out to make a dramatic effect in other parts of the world. What if we could... Boom, boom. Maybe, maybe it would be somebody who's, who's just really has a political bent and maybe it's maybe a middle schooler right now and maybe they're being stirred and, and something's just churned up in them. They see some injustice and they decide, you know what? I have to, for the cause of the gospel, I have to go out and I have to, I have to go to Washington, D.C. To, to help influence the influencers. Boom, boom. What if, what if it would be somebody even in our midst who's just really drawn to the city of Atlanta? And maybe it's, it's a, a musician. We have a lot of really good musicians, and we have some rising musicians. Maybe it's one of those musicians who says, you know what? For the cause of the gospel, I have to go to Atlanta. I have to go to Nashville. I have to go to Los Angeles. I have to go to New York because I am compelled to, by the gospel to go out and influence those who are influencing everyone else because when the city prospers, 
others prosper. But as the city draws in and the city releases, just like the church, boom, 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 boom. we draw people into the church. People become radically saved. Every salvation story is radical. Whether it's vacation Bible school or it's a crack addiction or somewhere in between, they're all radical. They're all amazing. They're all profound. They're all, they, every one of them is a story we should just sit back in awe. But in view of God's mercy and the story of the changed life, we are compelled. We're drawn in. We're compelled to be sent out for the cause of the gospel as a living sacrifice, seeking the peace of the city, seeking the prosperity of the city, knowing that when the city prospers, I prosper. And more important than all of that, praying for the city. What I want to do in the, in the last couple moments is I want to pray specifically and it's going to be kind of lengthy. I do apologize, but I want to pray specifically. I want to model what I'm telling you to do. So I want to pray specifically for um, some local leaders, state-level leaders, and then governmental leaders. And I'm going to pray, and then uh, right after that, I'll say just a line or two, and we'll be dismissed. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel, it, it offers a change for all people everywhere. We thank you, Lord, that that every person is, is level at the foot of the cross. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, we pray that you would give favor with Mayor Best, with the city council. Pray that you would give them favor, understand the tension that they live in and the decisions that they make, um, that it does impact all of us. Father God, I pray for favor with uh, the Board of Education. Well, when they make decisions about the education of, uh, of our children, that it is with so much pressure from the outside of political correctness. And, and Father God, I pray that you would allow them and maybe the Christians in those places to stand up, to have backbones, to say, you know what? We ought not to do that for the cause of the gospel. And maybe even if they have to sacrifice greatly, Lord, that they would still see that it was worth it for the cause of the gospel. Father God, I pray that you would um, just please be with, with Governor Deal and that you would also... Uh, be with all of the state legislature because they too have just this imposition of political correctness and they too have the pressure of the constituency of, of the state. And Father God, I pray that you would give them clarity of thought, that you would give them solid moral backbone to make the decisions, not for just a select group, but for all people. Father God, I pray for President Obama and the president to come. I pray that you would, uh, Lord, that you would uh, drive them uh, whoever it would be, or President Obama, not to do things simply out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but they would think more bigger picture. Father God, I pray that you would just open up their mind to see that the decisions that they, that they make impact all of us, not a select few of us. Father God, I pray that you would be uh, with the decision-making of the Supreme Court justices that will be happening um, over the next uh, just a couple years. And Father, I pray that you give them wisdom and discernment and in the decision not just to put them in there, but the character to look for before they place the person in there. 
And Father, I pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment. Give them open eyes. Pray that if, if maybe some of them are far away from you, God, that your gospel would penetrate their hearts, that you would uh, infiltrate and that you would influence us by the cause of your gospel. We believe that you're big enough. And Father, I pray that you would be with all of um, just the, the House of Representatives and the Senate and all of the decision-making and rule-making that happens there. I, I pray that you would impress upon them um, uh, to make decisions to, to bring people together instead of divide us. And Father, I pray for every church in this city who we're in partnership with, for every city where, where people are standing on stages just like this, declaring the truth of your word, believing that the gospel is pure and that the gospel and only the gospel can set the sinner's heart free. I pray for them that you would give them influence, that you would give them uh, favor, that you would give them power, that you give them clarity as they influence others who then go and influence others. I thank you for these great people that are here. I thank you for the willingness to listen, not to me, but to your word as it's preached to them. We praise you, Jesus. Please do a mighty work within us as we seek the peace of this city and the prosperity of our city and as we continue to pray for our city. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.